Shane Michael Fell was a 36-year-old man from Harvey, Louisiana. He had recently moved back to his hometown, having the ability to work for the company Verifone out of his house. On the night of June 10, 2011, he wrecked his car on a dark road. He survived the accident, and on a phone call from the scene, he told his brother Brett that he was fine. But when Brett arrived at the crash, Shane was gone. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Humans are amazing pattern recognition machines. They have the ability to recognize many different types of patterns and then transform these recursive, probabilistic fractals into concrete, actionable steps. No, I didn't write that. You didn't really think I'd put recursive, probabilistic, and fractals in the same sentence, did you? It comes from an article from BigThink.com. Simply put, Our minds are wired to look for patterns. It's the exact reason when you take an IQ test, you aren't required to answer who was the 17th president of the United States, Andrew Johnson. Instead, you're asked to display your pattern recognition skills by choosing the most logical next step in a series of pictures, shapes, or numbers. And you either get into Mensa or you don't. I find myself looking for patterns and disappearances. Do you? If you read enough disappearance cases, you can't help but see them. For example, all the cases of women who go to see an ex-husband or ex-boyfriend and disappear. The men who are involved in some kind of drug trade and are never seen again. Kids who disappear while walking home from school. All patterns. Today we have a pattern I'm sure you know. In fact, all I have to do is give you some names. Mara Murray. Brandon Lawson, Brandon Swanson, Brianna Maitland, and there are many more. All people who either wrecked their car or had car problems who eventually disappeared. A pattern that continues to this day. Strange given that car wrecks and malfunctions are getting rarer and rarer every year. In Shane Fell's case, unlike Brandon Lawson and Mara who had some law issues hanging over their heads, causing them to possibly run away, and Brianna, who might have had somebody after her, Shane had none of these issues. He had no reason to run. He had nobody after him. But still, that night on the River Road in Marrero, Louisiana, he became part of a distressing pattern. He wrecked his car, then he disappeared. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, Charlie Project, Shane Fell was last seen in Marrero, Louisiana on June 10, 2011. He had been at the bar Rum Runners with his brother Brett and Brett's brother-in-law, Josh, watching the two in a pool competition. They left the bar together but in three separate cars with the two men going one direction and Shane going the other. It was the custom of Brett and Shane to call each other to make sure each got home safely. So when Brett called Shane to make sure he reached his house, a destination only a few miles from the bar, Shane answered, 
saying he had been involved in an accident in which his car went off the road and overturned in a ditch. Brett told Shane he would be right there bringing his wife along. A few minutes later, Shane called back, making sure Brett was on the way. Approximately 20 minutes later, Brett and his wife arrived at the scene. Police and an ambulance were already there, summoned to the location by a security guard of a local business. However, Shane was nowhere to be found. A search of the area yielded nothing but one of Shane's shoes that was found in the ditch a couple days later. His wallet, phone, and car keys were also missing. Shane's family rejects the ideas that he ran off willingly or ended up in the Mississippi River, which lay about 300 feet away over a high levee. The interview for this episode is with Shane's mother, Terry. Unfound News. The logo is done. It's pretty nice. I want to thank a listener, Stephanie, who has gone far beyond the call of duty in pushing the process forward. She is the one who came up with a general design with some suggestions from me, then took it to a local designer to perfect it. You will all be seeing it shortly. The Unfound book will get started next week. So for those of you who sent me messages about being interested in taking part in the interview transcribing process, you'll be hearing from me. Frankly, that's going to be the biggest part of the overall job. But the book will also include maps, pictures, contact info and links, and my impressions of each case. I think it will definitely be a -a one-of-a-kind true crime book. Finally, I hope you enjoyed the surprise episode this past Monday, that being my interview with Carolyn Lowe. After the interview, she informed me that all of the material regarding Jacob Wetterling's disappearance would be released online on June 5th. I'm sure some of you will want to peruse it. You can be expecting another surprise midweek episode soon. Well, I guess I just ruined the surprise. Where to find Unfound? On Twitter, at Unfound Podcast. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, at Unfound Podcast. On Facebook, the Unfound Podcast Discussion Group. We had a very interesting thread about the right to disappear going on this past week. You should become a member and check it out. Please subscribe at Podomatic and iTunes, and please mention Unfound at all of the popular places like WebSleuths, Reddit, podcasts we listen to, and all other websites and forums. I'm very happy to have on this episode of Unfound the mother of Shane Fell, Terry Fell. Terry, welcome to Unfound. Thank you, Ed. Thank you very much. Please tell the listeners uh, a little bit about your son. What are those memories that come to your mind when you hear his name, when you think about him these days? Um, <clears throat> Shane is very talented. He's very creative. He's self-taught with his computer skills and his origami um, paper folding skills. Um, he's very soft-spoken, and he loves his family. Uh, we have a tiny family. I have two boys, Shane and Brett, and Brett's married with two children of his own, and Shane is very close to all of us. Um, he's very happy to be home. He was away in Georgia for several years and was finally able to come home and loved enjoying uh, time with us. He likes spending time with his little brother, Brett, too. 
Now, he had moved back to your area, but he was not living with you, right? He was living on his own, or? He, yes, sir. He was living on his own. And when he first came home, uh, my son Brett had a little house that he bought to rent. And so Shane lived with Brett for a little while while they fixed up the little house. And then Shane moved into the house that belonged to Brett, but he paid rent. And uh, he lived not too far from us. And you you said he was artistic, origami. I, I don't know if uh, very artistic. Where do you think he got that from? I, you know, when he was five years old, he started folding paper, and it's just the natural talent that he had. His dad used to draw when he was younger, and I guess um, you know Shane was always very quiet. He he liked to be involved in things, but he could. Um, make himself uh, entertain. He could entertain himself even when he was a little boy with either paper folding or his little cars or what have you. There's two and a half years between he and Brett. So um, Brett came along, you know, a little bit after that. And he, uh, but Shane liked playing alone. You know, he always liked just sitting with his little cars or like I said, playing with his origami. And he taught himself. I don't know how to do it to this day, but beautiful, beautiful flowers and things he makes. That's interesting. He, in one hand, he, he was into computers, and, and but yes. also he's very artistic at the same time. Seems like a yes. very well-rounded guy. Yes, painter. He paints. He draws. Uh, India Ink was one of the media that he liked. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of artistic talent. Jewelry making. He makes jewelry. So, yeah, mm-hmm. very artistic. And what job did he have with Verifone? What was his title or what did he do? He started out working, He's again, with his talents. He had a really strong talent for English. And he started writing their um, manuals for him, for them, rather. And, um, you know, that's what he would mostly do. There were other jobs that he did, side jobs with banners and things like that for other people. But he was mostly uh, English-type uh, manual writing for Verifone. Now, let's move up a, a little closer to the time uh, that he disappeared. How long had he been back in the area before June 10th of 2011? What was going on specifically in his life at, at, at that time that you can remember? Okay, he had been he had come home uh, the beginning of September. and um, Of 2010? He, yes, sir. Uh-huh. Okay. And... Um, he had gotten, he had been wanting to come home. He had a relationship that, that fell apart. So he wanted to come home. And being the computer-generated system that Verifone is, um, they have something they call transient workers. And so he put in to become a transient worker, and his work would be done at home on a daily basis, kind of like a punch-in uh, in the morning and then leave in the afternoon. But uh, they have workers that do that. So he, it allowed him, he got permission to do that. It allowed him to come home and work through uh, the computer with them. So uh, transient workers, what he did. And he continued to do that um, up until the accident. And what kind of, uh, obviously, like you said before, he's artistic. He was still pursuing that when he wasn't working. Do you have a vibrant mm-hmm. social life? Obviously, we know the night that he disappeared, he went out with his brother and mm-hmm. I guess the brother's um, brother-in-law, 
But uh, what was uh, his activities in the community? Did he go out a lot? or? No, no. He really didn't go out a lot. Um, we had what we called the family night, and we would each meet at somebody's house and cook. And he had just started to where he was doing a family night, and he did one of them. Um, and when we all went over and he cooked the meal and everything, very uh, health food conscious, uh, cooked a really nice meal. But, no, he was really kind of a homebody. He enjoyed New Orleans. He loved New Orleans. And he enjoyed walking around uh, the French Quarter and going into the little shops and things. And, um, again, being with a friend, he did have a couple of friends down here. Uh, but as far as a, a social life, I would say, like, going out with clubs and things, he didn't. He would go to watch Brett Pay play pool on a Thursday and... You know, a few dates with a couple of girls that he knew. But other than that, there was not a lot of, you know, going out a lot. He he was 36 when this happened. So, you know, he had gotten a little older. A little past past his clubbing days, I guess. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. All right. Was this a common occurrence for him to go and watch his brother, Brett, and, and this other guy, Josh, play? Would this was oh, when yes. this one this was this like a weekly thing or a monthly thing? Yes. yes, it's a weekly. It's they're in a pool club and they meet on Thursdays, and then at the end of the season they can uh, try to go. It's like a um, where they play pool with, against different teams, and then finally the winner goes to Biloxi and then goes to I think uh, Nevada. I'm not Nevada, Las Vegas. So, um, yeah, it's competitive, but it's it's a, a weekly little club, like a bowling team, but this is a pool team. What does Brett remember, your son Brett, remember about that evening? Not getting into so much the disappearance yet, but about that evening. Was there anything unusual that stuck out to him, or did it just seem like a regular, just one more regular night at, the, at this bar with shooting pool? Right, right, and it was. It was just a regular night. Um, the guys were all very close. They're friends. Um, I think there may be four or five on a team. I'm not real sure. It's not real large. And um, like I said, it's competitive. They'll play another team that night. And they were out a little bit later than they usually would be, but they were having a good time. And, um, you know, that's nothing out of the ordinary at all. Uh, we need to ask you this because this comes up in any sort of circumstance when you hear about a car wreck, in which we're going to get into, but... Did it seem to Brett like Shane might have been drinking a little bit more than he did usually? Anything like that? No, no, not the same. As a matter of fact, um, Shane stopped at Popeye's, it's a little local chicken uh, place, and he stopped there and got a dinner for himself and drove out to the bar, and he sat there, and that's the first thing he did was eat. So, you know, he he wasn't, and this was probably, I'd say, between... Uh, six and seven. I think the tournaments or the games usually start around seven. So it was over at least five hours, over a period of about five hours. And so, yeah, they were drinking. They were buying rounds for each other, but nothing um, to where anybody was slurring their speech or out cold, drunk. It, they're playing pool. You know, it's a competitive game. So It's an eye, hand-eye coordination game, so you're going to want to treat keep the alcohol to minimum okay right right 
So what do you know? What do the what do you know? What does the public know? What do the police know about this? What we suspect happened that night? Can you go through that for the listeners? Once these three guys uh, decided to leave this bar at around midnight. Uh, Brett lives in a little area called Terrytown. It's about 15 or 20 minutes away from uh, Barataria where Rum Runners, the name of the little bar, um, was located. And Joshua is Brett's brother-in-law. So all three guys had their own cars. Brett and Joshua went together toward Terrytown. Joshua was going to spend the night at Brett and Amber's house. And Shane went his way and what um, would those directions be brett and josh were they going to the west and was shane going to the east what direct general direction were they going like opposite directions they were going opposite directions yes okay yes yes i mean brett and josh were well joshua was following brett um but yeah they went opposite directions shane was going home and brett and joshua were going to Terrytown. Okay, and so they leave. Yes. What happens next that we know of that, that is on the record? Well, that is on the record, um, Shane and Brett always text one another when they got home, um, just to make sure they were both okay. And Brett hadn't heard, hadn't gotten a text from Shane, what he thought was a timely uh manner. It it seemed like it was a little longer than usual. So Brett called his brother to see if everything was okay. Well, as soon as Shane picked up the phone and he knew it was Brett, uh, he told Brett, brah, I flipped my car. I flipped my car. And he was upset. His adrenaline was pumping. Um, He wasn't, like I said, he wasn't any kind of drunk or anything like that. And so Brett said, well, what happened? And then Shane told him, you know, he was driving down River Road, and there is a pipe yard, and I guess the diameter of the pipes are maybe 15 inches, and these are long, long metal pipes, and they're all stacked up, and the the road is very dark. So my husband and I drove down it later. If you're driving straight toward, you think you're going straight, the way these pipes line up with the road, it gives you this um, false vision that you're going straight. You can see right through the pipes, and it you feel like you're going straight. It's like an optical illusion. And so what we believe happened was as he thinks he's going straight, realizes the, the sharp, sharp turn right there and cuts the t- uh, steering wheel is when the tires caught that little divot, that tiny little ditch, and it rolled on the passenger side of the car because he was going toward his house. So he was facing these pipes, and, and the, car, the car didn't flip over and over and over, nothing like that. It, it turned on its passenger side. And yeah, so right yeah. after that is when Brett just would have happened to have called Shane, and Shane says, Hey, yeah. I, hey, I yeah. wrecked. Within so, seconds, yes. Okay, so Shane Oddly was out of the... Enough, it within minutes. Okay, Shane, and so Shane was out of the car by that time, do you think? 
Um, yes, I want to say yes, he was out of the car by that time because he had to uh, crawl through the driver's window to get out. And like I said, the car was on its side, so he got out the driver's window. And um, probably just about then, he, he, as a matter of fact, he jumped uh, into this little ditch and one of his shoes came off. And um, so he came, you know, he would have come around to the, the front of the car to maybe lean against it. And that's when Brett probably called him, probably at the same time he was dialing Brett, a, you know, Brett dialed him and he answered and he told Brett what happened. And Brett said, well, are you okay? Are there any other cars involved? What happened? Uh, so Shane said, no. He said, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. And there are no other cars involved. It's just me. So at that point, Brett was going to was going to continue on home because he had driven more than halfway there. So he was going to continue going home and pick up his wife Amber. Joshua was going to be at their house. They have two little kids to um, just watch the kids stay in the house with the kids while Brett and Amber came back to get Shane. And how and long? Uh, excuse okay. me, I'm sorry. I just want to get a little time reference in for all the listeners. How far okay. did Shane live away from from the bar to Shane's house is how far in minutes, let's say, and how far did Brett live from the bar? Did Shane okay. live a lot lo- Did Shane live a lot, lot closer, closer to it? Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, much closer to the bar. Yes. Any idea, like Shane, ten minutes and Brett, twenty minutes, or just that's, a guess? That's a pretty good, yeah. That's a pretty good guess. It is. Okay. So Brett goes home and gets his wife, and he heads back out. What happens next? Well, Brett said as he's driving closer to he. Okay. In the meantime, he called Shane again um, while he was driving to get Shane. He called him again. And Shane didn't answer his phone. Brett was trying to find out exactly, you know, a little bit closer exactly where the car had flipped. So he tried calling his brother, and Shane never did answer. Well, as he started driving, getting closer to around where he thought it was, he started hearing a lot of sirens. So he kept driving down River Road, because he knew he was on River Road. So down River Road, when he got to the scene, there were police cars. There were a couple of EMT cars, um, and that's when he got out his car. And um, I know an EMT was telling <clears throat> telling my daughter-in-law Amber, you know, he said, um, if you guys know where Shane is, you need you need to let us know because he may have hit his head and have a concussion or be disoriented. He said we need to get medical care, and. Brett was talking to the police, and nobody knew Shane by then was gone. He was not there. So it's in just this matter of no more than 10 minutes that he disappeared. I just want to back up for for a second because I think there's some discrepancies out there about this. And I just want you to go on on the record so we can can clear this up. Um, Brett calls Shane. Shane says he's wrecked. Mm Did the two ever talk again after that? Because I've read varying accounts. I've heard that Shane called him back wondering where he was or Brett mm-hmm. called. There was like a second phone call in which they talked. Oh, Can you clarify yeah. that for everybody? Yeah, there was a second call. Okay, after um, Brett had talked and called him, um, yes, he called later 
I guess, I, I don't know, minutes, um, while waiting for Brett, he called him to just talk to him, tell him he was okay, everything was all right, you know, are you on your way? And so it was probably a very short conversation. And um, so, yes, Shane did call Brett. Okay, that's good. All right, thank you for that. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so Brett uh, gets there. He's expecting to find Shane. The police yeah. and an ambulance are already there, and we're going to get into yeah. that, why that is, in a, in a little bit. But Brett's okay. expecting to show up, uh, to show up, and Shane's there. Maybe he's in the ambulance. They're looking at him, or he's talking to the police or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nowhere to be yeah. found. Uh, did, was there any search done at, at that moment? I know it's dark. It's after midnight. It's like close mm-hmm. to 1 in the morning. What was done at that time? Um, eventually, and I say that because I don't know in a time frame, um, I know eventually it was still dark. There were some uh, helicopter came out, and it had like the infrared to be able to see, and uh, that was a police helicopter. So they came out to try to see if they could find Shane running around because, I mean, you know, at this point they're going to treat him as a criminal, and so they're looking for him, and they there was never any sort of um, – uh, any sort of reaction to this this infrared or this lamp that they shine out that you can see people um, or warm people. There was never anything that showed up. Uh, Brett and Amber started looking for him, and um, everybody, the other police were looking around, um, I guess shaking bushes and what have you, uh, to find him, and, and no, no one ever found anything. Approximately. Uh, Shane's car was wrecked on the opposite side of the road from the river, but how far would you say was the car from the river over the levee? Okay, it was uh, across the road, like you said, the width of the road, and then you would go up the levee, and then there is a, a, a flat area for maybe a truck width to drive down it. Then you would walk down the levee and toward the river, maybe 20 feet, something like that. But the tide was low, so you could walk farther. There's a tree line, and then you could walk into the river probably up to your knee uh, because it was so low that night. Well, that season it was very low. Um, And a lot of little critters and animals and things run around there, but other than that, that's about the, the picture that it is. It's just Shane's car, the width of the road, walk up the levee, down the levee, and there's, you know, about 20 feet in the river. Would you say that it was like a football field long or less or no, more than that? No, not a football field. No, definitely not a football field long. No. So less. closer than that. And listeners, if you go to Google Maps, you can do a street view, you can do a satellite view. You're going to be able to find actually fairly quickly where Shane's car wrecked, and you're going to be able to see some of these things uh, for yourself. But being that most of you are never probably going to be on that road, I thought it might be helpful if Terry explained that to you. Uh, Let's get back Mm -hmm. to Shane's car. Uh, Did the airbag go off? Was his seatbelt? Did he use his seatbelt? Did the police tell you anything about any of that information? Okay, Shane's airbag. Shane had bought this car used. Um, and at some point in time, the airbag had deflated before he got the car. He had never replaced it because it was just an expense he didn't need to go through, he felt. Um, as far as the seatbelts, 
I've watched him leave my front door, and he always put his seatbelts on, seatbelt, and he was, you know, an avid believer in people wearing their seatbelt. However, when the police said that when they looked at the car, that the seatbelt was clipped together as as if maybe Shane was sitting on it. So I didn't see it myself. That's what I was told. How did you find out about Shane's disappearance? Um, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was, of course, on a Friday. My daughter-in-law called me. We had plans. It, that weekend was my husband and I's anniversary. And so all of us were going to go to Gulfport, Mississippi, for a weekend to be together and celebrate our anniversary. Um, the kids were coming with us. The little, the grandchildren were coming with us. Well, about five and o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, um, I would have gotten up about 15 minutes later. So when the phone rang, I was surprised, and I, you know, I picked it up and it, I recognized Amber, Amber's voice, and um, I said something silly to her like um boy you must be really excited to go you call this early something like that because we all had work that day um and so she said um Shane's missing she calls me Miss Terry and she said Miss Terry Shane's missing we can't find Shane and I said well what do you mean he's missing because I know the routine I know the pool night you know they both go home and she proceeded to tell me a little bit about what had happened. And she said that um, she and Brett had been up on the levee all during the morning until they had just driven home at that point, about half an hour before that. And she said, Brett um, is here with me. And she said, he can't talk to you. He's hysterical. And she said, um, you know, we can't find Shane. So my husband and I jumped up got in the car and drove to Terrytown to be with, you know, Brett and Amber and try to find out what happened. What was your impression at that time? I know you, you were probably hysterical yourself. What was running I through would, your head? What was running through your head? What do you think the, what did you think the possibilities were? I just, I really, it was kind of like I had a feeling that maybe um, he was, decided to go across the river someplace to New Orleans or something like that. And it was like this, the pit of your stomach sound where, you know, you just, all the blood drains from you and you, your mind starts flashing and, you know, it was like we couldn't get to Brett's house fast enough to find out what was going on. So, that's how, you know, my frame of mind was right there. And so you get to your son's house, to Brett's house, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he tells you what happened. This is when you were first finding out about the phone calls and all of that. Did well, he... much later I found out about all that. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, what did he think happened? I mean, he's expecting to show up there. What were his theories about what could have uh, happened to Shane because it's I think it's always important to that you know that knee-jerk reaction those first impressions Mm -hmm. about something uh, that I I think can be very helpful to people Mm -hmm. 
And at that point, he was just drained. He was completely drained. He and Amber had been up for hours looking for him, driving around looking for him. And he just, he was crying, and, and he hugged me, and I hugged him. And, Mom, I can't find him. I can't find him. And that's what he just kind of kept repeating. He said, we've looked, and, and, and we can't find him anywhere. So that's when my husband and I got, the four of us got in the car together, and we went back to the site. And we started looking again. Because, um, again, this was early in the morning. This was maybe 5.30, quarter to 6 at the latest. Um, we started looking around. Uh, I called, uh, after we got back to his house, I called a couple of his friends to see if they had heard from him or had, you know, knew anything, if he was going out or, or doing something and no one had ever heard, you know, no one heard anything. And... Um, you know, it just started from there. You know, we went back to Shane's house, and um, Brett, of course, had the key because he owned the house, so he had the key, and we were let in, and um, you start making phone calls. It's getting a little later on, and um, calling people and calling hospitals, and uh, you, I, we called the police. I requested a missing persons, and they came out, and we'll, you know... We uh, filed a missing persons report, but it was just look, 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 search, search, what could happen. You don't know what to do or don't know where to run. You know, it's just mm. mind-boggling. When you went back out there that morning, I, of course, the sun probably would mm -hmm. have been coming up very shortly, yeah. uh, being that it's mm -hmm. this time of year, and, and, you know, the sun comes up very early. Was the car already right. gone? The ambulances were gone? No. The police were gone? Or or no? Okay. What the did you see? The car was still there. Still there. Okay. The car was there. Yes. The car was still there. Um, the all, Everybody else was gone. The police, the ambulance, all of that was gone. And, and we were just looking and, uh, you know, looking and searching. And the police were going to go pick up the car. The record, they had a record service to come and pick up the car. But, um, you know, that's that's mm -hmm. what was going on. So we kept looking. Walking, walking, looking in the woods. Um, and the only thing that you, made businesses. I'm sorry. Um, what I was going to say is the only thing that you found once you went back out there, and I think this might have been a couple of days later, was a shoe that you had already mentioned earlier. That it wasn't yes. found that uh, night. It was found a couple of days no. later. Yes, because it was a little, a little wet and muddy then, I guess, and we weren't concentrating on that ditch so much. Um, but then a couple of days later, what Brett went out there again, we stayed out there for days, um, and he happened to find it. And so he, uh, turned it into the detective. Was there any sign in the car that, that Shane might've suffered any injuries in this wreck? Um, the police said after the record service took the car and the police were able to go through it and everything, um, they said that they found a, a little bit of blood on the driver's seat side door, but that they didn't feel like it was uh, skin that had come from his head. He, you could tell by the different hair, and they said it was like uh, from his arm. So other than that, that was all. So the car rolls, maybe he rolls onto his arm, it brushes up against the driver's door, something happens. Right. And it yeah. may, it could have been as something as simple as a scrape that could have caused mm -hmm. blood. It didn't even have to be a broken arm or anything. No, sir. 
Not okay. at all. And he, he would have said something like that because that's very painful. So. I think I think no, you're right. None of that. What searches were done later? Was the river searched? Was did they have dogs out there? What what can you tell the listeners about that? Um, there were river searches. My brother and some of his friends took a flat boat and, and did a lot of river searching along the edge. Um, I have another relative that, that got a relative of hers to do a, a flyover with his plane. Um, and that light I was explaining, I don't know the name of what you call that, but it, it shows you, he actually took a picture of us standing on the levee looking at him. So that was done over a pretty wide area. Um, we tried to get the dogs out as soon as it happened, but that tended not to happen until after the grass on the levee was cut. So the, um, detective told Brett to go back. We were staying at Shane's house at that point, sleeping there and everything. People were always over and we would always go on searches. And, um, a detective had Brett go home to Shane's house and with gloves on his hand to pick up a, uh, any kind of article of clothing for the dog. So they did. he did that. He got a jacket, and he put it in a bag, and he took it out there to the detective. The detective asked us not to go out there, that only Brett, they only wanted Brett out there with them. So we, you know, honored what they asked to help find Shane. We'd do anything. So um, the detective told us that because so many people had trampled the area, looking for Shane, that it confused the dogs and that the dogs only couldn't actually pick up a scent. They went up the levee and then a little bit down the levee and then zigzag up the levee again. And he said that he stopped at the street. The dog stopped at the street. The dog looked like it, it lost a scent. So, or didn't know where to go. And then, like I said, the detective said it was because so many people had had walked that area that they were confused with Shane's scent. Mm-hmm. You had told me a story, and I think that maybe this is going to get into a little bit of what maybe what the police suspected. Uh, that at some point, not I don't know how long this was after Shane's disappearance, that a cop came to your house. Mm-hmm. And how long was this after you had a very, I would say, contentious discussion with with this cop? Can you tell the listeners what that involved? That was that day. That was the day I sent, I called for the missing persons report to be filed. And so a patrolman came out to the house, and Brett and I, it's a little house, they call it a shotgun house down here. And um, it's an older, straight-through house. And Brett and I saw him pull up because we were looking out the door. I kind of sat on the porch the whole time looking for Shane. Um, and he pulled up, so we walked to him, and, uh, because it was the weekend, sort of, uh, they said something about a shift being changed or something. Well, this guy evidently knew a little bit about what had happened, and as soon as he started asking, you know, what's the name, blah, 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 and, and, uh, birthday and all this stuff, he started implying that, we had Shane, that um, we knew where he, he was and that you can't just go off and, and when there's a wreck like that, you have to stay by the vehicle and we need to turn him in and let uh, everybody know where he is. 
Well, my brother, oh, my brother, I'm sorry. His brother, uh, Brett, was standing next to me. And both my boys are over six feet tall. So Brett's standing there, and he's got his hand in a fist. And I knew, just just one more thing out that policeman's mouth. He was such on edge right then that it would have taken him nothing to just smack the policeman. Then he would be in trouble. So I just kind of reached over and patted his arm. And he, you know, relaxed. He was gritting his teeth. But, yeah, the policeman was very accusatory as far as we had him, um, that uh, it was we needed to turn him in. So you could infer from that that maybe the police thought that Shane might have been drinking and driving that night, wrecks the car, Mm -hmm. then tries to get away because he didn't want to get caught drinking and driving. Maybe that's what you can infer from that. Yes, and they thought we were hiding him. They they kept it, it. Kind of sounded like it was more um, aimed toward Brett than his mom and dad. That you know that maybe Brett was protecting him and Brett was hiding him. Um, so he better come clean. And Brett just immediately started offering, "Look, I'll go down there and take a test, take a lie detector test for you." He said, "I do not know where my brother is." So yeah, that's how it went. Okay. Let's get into maybe even deeper into this that that makes this disappearance even a little bit more uh, mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell the listeners about the couple who happened to come by and saw Shane at his car after the wreck? How did you find out about them? How did the police find out about them? What do you know about that? Um, there was a couple that drove past Shane. Again, this is very dark. It's not... Um, driven at that time of the morning, um, not driven on very much. So the car comes in front of Shane, keeps going, and then up a little ways, turns around and comes back to Shane and said, are you okay? Do you need any help? And he said, you know, no, I'm fine. I'm waiting for my brother. So that was really early on. Um, and they said, well, you sure, you sure, you know, we'll take you to the hospital. No, I'm fine. I'm waiting for my brother. He, he won't be much longer. So they leave. And then a little while later, again, nobody knows exactly what time. A little while later is when the security guard sees the car on its side. So he stops his truck. And uh, got out. He said the windshield wipers were going. He said there was nobody in the car. So he called the police. And then a a PT cruiser passes by him and offers to help. And he said no, he had just called the police. So in answer to your question about the couple, the police tried to get as much of a surveillance tape that they could. Most of the little businesses in that area, um, and they're mostly uh, yards, work yards, they have their cameras faced toward their front door because we knocked on doors. The family knocked on doors asking if they had a camera, could we see the film. Um, So there wasn't much by the way that that could be that would offer any evidence to the police for car uh cars going back and forth would the police did show us the grainy dark 
um, film of how they were trying to pick up types of cars, uh, license plates, what have you, and it was difficult. They were having a hard time. I heard, and again, this is my best knowledge, I heard that the police found this couple through a license plate or something and asked them to go into the station. And so they did. Okay. And what ha- and what and what happened? They they didn't have that Supposedly, great of experience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is hearsay. I do not know, but I was told that they had such a bad experience that they would never try to help anybody else again. That they were accused of having something to do with Shane's disappearance. That they just tried to help. Uh, he didn't need any, so they just went on their way. And uh, the lady supposedly had a nervous breakdown because of it. Again, that's hearsay. I don't know that for sure. But they were given an awfully bad time. Uh, I guess a rather rough interview with the police. So they stop. They see the chains there, maybe sitting on the side of the road, maybe standing there, and they see that he's okay. But they they are not the ones who called 911. They simply said, oh, it's a car wreck. Guy seems okay. He tells them his brother's on the way. Fine by them. It's late at night anyway. They go on their way. Okay. Right. And somehow the police, through a video or something, found out about them. So these people did not come forward voluntarily. They had to be tracked down. Right. Evidently not. Maybe they didn't know about the search that was going on. I don't know. I don't really know. Okay. Thank you. Now, the security guard, this isn't a security guard... Was he working at that company, or did, was this a security guard that was driving home from his work somewhere? No, he was a security guard for that company there, the pipe that, yard. The pipe com- company, okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And he was the one that ended up calling 911, so that's how, going yeah. back to Brett gets there, and the cops and the ambulance are already there. The reason they're there yeah. is because of the security guard who called. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And have you ever had a chance to talk to him? Have you ever gone down to the yard? Has any of your family gone down to talk to him? What he remembers about that night in particular, not seeing Shane, anything like that? We were given, um, the police, of course, talked to him for for quite some time. We were given a, um, uh, a dialogue of the tape or the the phone call that was made by them, the recording. Actually, we weren't given it. Brett went down there and requested it as a free information. The um, phone conversation between the security guard and the 911 call. And um, he just, he sounded a little confused. I heard the tape, and he sounded a little confused. Um, but he did say that he saw the car and there was no one in it. The windshield wipers were on. And so he called the police is what, you know, he said afterward. Um, when you say that he was confused, do you, do you think that could have been because there was a wrecked car there and and there was nobody in it and there was nobody around? Do you think that's where his confusion came from? Just, you know, I mean, this is, he sounded a little like he had been drinking a little to me. He was a little slurred. Maybe that was his mannerism of speaking. I don't know. I've never really spoken to him. I heard the tape. 
so upset or panic or anything because of the wreck. No, it was the opposite. Have, has Brett ever gone down? Did Brett ever try to go down there and talk to this guy one-on-one one, one, or your husband go down? Obviously, you didn't, but your husband, anybody else in your family, being that you knew where he worked, you could just go down there and have a friendly conversation with him. Did you ever do that? No, it, no. It got to a point where he didn't want to talk to anybody anymore. Okay. So that was the end of it. He was worried about his job. Um, he can't take mm -hmm. keep the police... Evidently, we're going to him a couple times a week or something, uh, wanting to talk to him about something. And he said he didn't want to lose his job, that, um, you know, he couldn't talk anymore. So that was it. Did he ever at any time say that he saw Shane at all? How did he How did he no. come upon? Was he just happened to be dry? Did he see the car, then go out around the fence to see it? Or did did he just happen upon it? Do you know? No, well, he just, he happened upon it because behind Shane's car now is that fence, that big, tall hurricane fence. So either you're going to, you know, you're driving in the street. If He parked his car on the side of the levee and looked over toward his truck, rather, and looked over toward the car. So there was really no place other than that he could have gone. And he just stopped because he saw the car he said the windshield wipers were on. I don't know how because we've never found a set of keys. All right, we're so, gonna get we're gonna get into that in a moment. I guess what I'm asking is, okay. was he out? Was he outside the fence? He's the security guard for that business. Yes. So to me, he should yes. be inside the fence. Was he outside no. the fence because he saw the car he, and went out, or he just happened upon no. it? No, he was driving back and forth on River Road because the yards are very long. So oh, he I would see. drive by and check the yard. I see. He wasn't inside of the yard. I see. There was nobody working there at that time. I understand. Thank you for that. That That is much clearer to me now. Okay. We're going to talk about some of the other things that are missing now regarding Shane. His wallet is missing. His keys are missing. And his phone is missing. Let's talk about the yeah. phone for a second. What did you learn about the disappearance of his phone? Did you try calling uh, it? Oh, yes. Shane had a recorder, uh, a recording on the phone where, you know, he said, um, of course, Shane fell, um, leave a message, I'll call you back, something like that. And so immediately we, we all started calling on the phone, calling the phone to try to talk to him to find out where he was. Well, he never, never answered that phone again from the time that Brett called him before he even made it back to the site. The phone was not, not being answered. And the police were trying to call the number. We were all calling the number, and there was never any answer. And did it ring? Did it go to voicemail? Yeah. Would it, it yeah. rang and then like four, it five, rang. six times and then went to voicemail? And then we heard his recording. And then that was it, you know, leave a message. And how long did this continue? Did you try calling it? Uh, I, I know until the battery ran out. And I'm assuming maybe uh, a couple days, a day and a half, day and a half at the most. 
what do you, how do you interpret that? Uh, I've had a chance to talk to some people, and I, I can tell you that the information regarding phones and ringing, and if you suspect possibly, we don't know what happened, but let's just say that the phone ended up in the water. Somehow Shane ended up in the river. We don't know. We don't know. No. What is no. your in, in understanding if a phone were get to go into water and what would happen if you tried to call it? If a phone goes into the water, it's it's not going to the electronics in it will will fizzle out. It will Shane had a little flip phone. He didn't have a fancy Blackberry or anything like that. Um he had a little flip phone that he bought from Walmart that you can pay minutes. You know, you buy minutes. That's how my phone was too then. And you just buy minutes. So if that phone would have gone in the water, it would have frazzled out. You would not have been able to get the clear ringing and the recorded message and please leave a message tone. Um, that's my understanding of it. And that never happened. It rang clearly until it auto, it just stopped ringing, which indicates that the battery went out, not that it went in the water. Thank you for that. Listeners, I'm sure, are going to be very interested. They're probably going to do their own research in it because I can tell you just since I've talked to you last, I've done my own research, and there is a wild, wide range of ideas of what would happen regarding that. And, and we know people are dropping their phones in water all the time, but it still seems that right. there's not a clear understanding of the – technology behind that of what would happen if you call one of those so that's going to be something that i think the listeners are going to look look into you uh into that for you uh terry but keep in mind also this was six years ago so mm. the phones were not quite as good as they are now i guess i want to say this was six years ago yes so June 10th, may, 2011, you, know, help yes. Your, you know listeners okay as indication of what type of phone it was Okay, thank you. Uh, his keys, you had mentioned that the, the windshield wipers were running on the car, so, so the security guard said, but the keys for the car were never found either. That's correct. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Does the security guard remember, did he mention anything about the headlights being on on the car? I never heard anything mentioned about the headlights being mm -hmm. on, one and, way or another. And... I, I had, is it true that when Brett called Shane the first time that he could hear dinging in the background as if a car door was open or something? Is that, do you know anything about that? Um, I don't think that could have happened because one door was in the mud and the mm. other door was in the air and Shane went through the window. So I don't know what kind of car, you know what I mean? To, mm. to look at the car, to imagine it that way. A car door wouldn't have been open. He went through the window to get All right. out. So we're thinking probably that is just something that somebody said that didn't know what they were talking yes. about. Okay. Yes. Now here's going to probably be the toughest part that we need to talk about, and that is that the listeners may not know this, but where Shane wrecked on River Road mm -hmm. is not on the path that he would normally take to go from the bar to his house. In fact, it's probably in a quite out of the way if he was going, I mean, really the long way around to get home. If he had gone straight right. home that night, he had never come anywhere near where he wrecked. Could, do you have any Correct. explanation for that? What do you think about that? He, from time to time on Barataria and 
the the street he would have turned right on, the street he would have turned right on to go home, if he would have gone home the normal way, would have been 4th Street. And right there on the corner of Barataria and 4th Street, they have a checkpoint. Very, very, very often. They have, I've even been stopped there at a at, at checkpoint. So he did not want any kind of problem. Um, like I said, he was at the, at the pool hall for five, six hours, and they had rounds of drinks. So he didn't want any uh, odor coming from himself to show that he was drinking or anything like that. So he figured he would go a different way. And again, this is what I'm surmising, um, but I'm positive that he and his brother talked about it. So he would have gone around River Road. He also is not extremely familiar at that point in time of that back area. And it's a, it's, it's a back area. There aren't a lot of lights. It's very, very dark. Um, and if you're a little bit unfamiliar and then, you know, you're going to try to go home, he went that way. He went that way. He did not go the way he normally does. And I know it was to avoid that checkpoint. You being a local there living in the area, do you have a suspicion right. of the roads that he might have taken to get from the bar to where he wrecked? Where, if you, do you have, have you ever thought about that? to go? So he's going up that road that the, 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 the bar is on. Maybe he okay. sees the checkpoint. So he would have made a left, which would have been going west. Any idea how he might have gotten over to River Road, the, the roads that you know? in the area. Any ideas? Okay. No, because he would have, if he would have come down Barataria, you can't turn left. Other than the end of Barataria, you turn left and it's River Road. So if you're going down Barataria, the very last turn on Barataria is River Road. Okay, you're looking at the mm. levee. It mm. is River Road. Mm -hmm. And about uh, uh, two blocks before that big left-hand crooked turn, you come to 4th Street, where he would have taken a right to go home. Mm -hmm. And he lived about uh, maybe a mile and a half from there. But the checkpoint... Is, is right there on 4th and Barataria. He mm. couldn't have gone down Barataria and turned left on River Road without running into the checkpoint. Okay. So he would have had to go a, a different way, a back way, mm. from Barataria, the opposite direction of his house. Right. And he started on River, River Road toward his house. Um, and that's when this happened. Right. So, the the listeners know, should understand that when you check that out on a satellite view, that, that uh, Shane was going east on River okay. Road when he wrecked. And he so going okay. east would have been in the direction of his house, but uh, he the shit, once again, when you look at it, I think you understand what we're trying to say. It's hard to do that on a, an it audio without, without having a map, but I'm sure the listeners right. will check that for themselves because I know that's something when they find out about where he wrecked, they're going to say, well, he lives here because his address mm -hmm. is out there. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you've, you've said this in prior interviews that I've seen. You've explained the, the, like the street that he lived on, maybe not the exact address, 
But they're going to say, well, here's the bar. Here's where he lived. What's he doing way over here? And so I thought that we needed to talk about that. So there is the possibility that maybe he did think, well, maybe I am over that 0.08 or 0.1, whatever Mm -hmm. the the law is in Louisiana. But I know that I'm fine. I don't want to be hassled. I'm going to go this direction. And -hmm. and something happened that uh, he wrecked his car. Uh, Just to be clear about – Excuse he me. He had no DUIs. No DUIs. So he didn't want that on his record. Yeah, you know, of, co- of um, course. That's basically how that, that came about. I mean, I know the police mm-hmm. mentioned how they even congratulated me for having two grown men with such clean records because there were never any police reports or anything on either of my children. So, you know, I know that was important to him. He knew it when he was drinking. Yes, I understand that. But... He was having a good time, and he didn't want to get caught. At no time, just to clear this also up, when he talked to Brett on the phone, either time, he never said that he was being followed. He never said there was another car involved in the accident. He wasn't run off the road, anything like that. Never said said anything like like that. that. Nothing like that. And between the time that Brett talked to his brother and made it back, I mean, there was no, if somebody had been following him when he wrecked, there would have been time for him to call his brother or maybe not to call his brother, but he did call his brother. They communicated. They, the police said, well, is somebody after him? Did, did he maybe, um, I have an argument with someone. No, none of that happened. They they interviewed all the people in the bar, the barmaids, the all the little pool team. There were no hassles or no problems or anything like that. There was not when he passed another car in that section of the road. Yeah, so and, that I th- and I think he would have told his. Okay, I think he would have told his brother. Right. You know, I was I was being followed by somebody and they just ran me off the road. Exactly. Of course, exactly. that's exactly. My exactly. Yeah, exactly. He would have. Yeah. yeah. He would have exactly told yeah. his brother or he would something. Have mentioned it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. This yeah. was just a one car accident, and in fact, I know people were yeah. going to look at the car when they finally did. I've seen the car once the police did put it back on its tires at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know in a mm-hmm. an impound yard or something. The car, although it's totaled, you'd never be able to drive it again. It's really not that wrecked it's not like it no, looks like right. he was he wasn't going that fast when this happened no he wasn't because if he would have been going fast when that tire and hit that ditch it would have flipped him probably into that fence for one right or across the other side of the street if he was going fast or it would have flipped it head over heels you know and Speed and cars at that corner, it happens like that. Where cars, we've been out there and you see the whole front bumper of a car. That didn't happen to Shane's car. The windshield, the front windshield was smashed in. And when I first saw the car, I just, I mean, I started crying again. And Brett said, no, Mama. He said, the police did that to try to get into the car to see if anybody was there. I said, okay, okay, okay. So... You know, no, there there wasn't a lot of damage when it first happened. It was not drivable anymore. It was a small car. It was a Saturn. It was probably 10 years old. Um, it was used. 
so it would have had a lot of bings and on it, and it still didn't look bad. That's right. I, ag- that I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you about this, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but once All listeners right. um, you know, start in, taking interest in this case, uh, there are some theories out there, and I don't want to get into who said them or anything like that. People are going to find okay. that on their own if they want to. Do you? I'm just want to make a general statement regarding all of this. Do you believe your you, your family, whether it's you, your husband, your son, any other family members? Do you um, have any theories, maybe alternative theories, when I call call them, about what happened to Shane that night? Maybe possibly involving law enforcement, uh, maybe involving that couple who stopped by because there are those statements out there. And I feel like I should give you an opportunity to answer for your family regarding that. What do you think? Okay. In my personal opinion, I feel like Shane was picked up. That's my belief. I know it's not everybody in my family's belief, but it's my belief. I wrote to every single truck driving company there was in the area, begging for help, sending the poster if somebody picked him up as a good Samaritan. Um, He didn't know who he was. He was disoriented. You know, maybe you could help us find him. In my heart, that's what it is, that, that he got picked up by somebody. Maybe it's a mama's wish, and so be it. But that's what I believe. I believe that he... Wandered off. He had one shoe on, remember? Yes. He wandered off. You're not going to run. Maybe he hid behind. I don't even know what I could say he hid behind because I saw when the helicopters later on, they showed us the helicopter looking. um, It was taped, and they were showing it to us. There were no warm bodies. They looked everywhere in the area. We looked everywhere in the area. Mm. He had to be standing on the side of the road or walking toward his house, maybe, because that was the area, toward his house. And I think somebody stopped to pick him up. Mm. His wallet was on him. His driver's license still read the state of Georgia. Maybe he didn't know he belonged with us in in Louisiana. You know, again, these are my theories. Mm. Some of the family believes that it was police involved somehow. I can't, you know, speak Mm. to them. I have to to handle this loss until we find him, whatever whatever way it can make me whole. And, you know, you're not whole. But I need that to hold on to, that that somebody's picked him up and somebody's got him to help find him, please. I, I understand. I yes, I completely understand. Uh, and, and the listeners should know something, that before you start thinking, well, he probably just went off into the river. I mean, there, there's if you don't know, me being... Mm-hmm very probably too knowledgeable about disappearance in the United States. A lot of people who have been drinking, especially men, do end up in bodies of water. There's something about that. But the the river was drug. It was searched. And in fact, it was so thorough, they actually found another person in the river during the search for Shane. My brother, yes, my brother called. Um, 
he and some friends or some friends were looking for us to help us out. And he called me and he said, asked if Shane had any tattoos. And I said, no. And when he called me and asked me that, my heart sunk again. But I said, why? And he said, because we just, they, my friends just pulled someone out of the river, but he had tattoos. And he said, Shane was just at my daughter, my granddaughter's birthday party at a swim party. And he said, I should have remembered Shane has none. And I said, you're right. He has none. But they did find somebody else. So what you were saying is it was a very thorough search. It wasn't just some once over of the river. They went in there looking for Shane and they found mm-hmm. somebody else. Did you know the circumstances? Was this like a murder or did this person drowned? Or do you know any of the details no, about any of that? No, okay. I know nothing about it. Okay, no. that might be interesting to know to maybe find out where that guy went into the river and how close around when Shane disappeared. That might be something interesting to know. But searchers were done. It was thorough being that somebody else was found. Terry, how did this affect you and your family? Uh, how do you put that into words? Um, we've searched, uh, a lot of people came to help us. A lot of people that we didn't even know for weeks would go out there and help us search. And we searched the same area. Um, to say that we got, that we were closer, I can't say that because we were close to begin with. Uh, it's just the two boys and, and my husband and I, and um, the rest of the family came to us when we needed help. And, I, I you know, I, that's what families are supposed to do. Uh, we would have done the same word then um, if it would have happened to them. So we got a lot of, of help from family, a lot of help from strangers and friends. Um, the first, this happened on a Friday, and the following Friday night, we had a vigil where word of mouth people came out and and there must have been 200 people that came out and it was unbelievable it was just it just purely unbelievable people strangers that just wanted to know that we were being supported um so i guess you know, it's it's you get that sorts of closeness. It's kind of like whenever there's a disaster or something horrible happens, people tend to kind of feel your pain. Regular people um, feel your pain. Um, everybody dealt with it differently. Um, I still look for him every day. Um, we still have post um, his sign out where it happened. Um, and we'll never start looking. I, I, you know, you can't, no one can prove to me that he's not here anymore. And that's what I hold on to. So. What does Brett say? Uh, I mean, he was the last person that we know of who talked mm-hmm. to him. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm sure he, he replays, replays those two conversations that he had with Shane over in his mind probably every day. You're right. You're and, right. Yeah. And is what does he what does he feel about this? How has this affected him? Um, I think as far as affecting him outwardly, he's still Brett. He's 
happy-go-lucky. He's a hard worker for his family. He has a lot of friends. He's the social butterfly of the family. Um, inwardly, I know he hurts. I, I know, you know, all of us do. My husband does in his own way. Uh, we all handle it differently. Uh, Brett's extremely sensitive, and Shane toward me was extremely sensitive. We're very, you know, very close. And um, it's just, I mean, I still buy his Christmas ornament every year. Uh, Brett wrote a card to me, and beautiful, he always writes beautiful notes. And in the note, he said that the car was from both he and Shane. And so, you know, he Shane's still with us, and um, I, I guess that's all you can do. You know, again, everybody's got to handle it their own way. I'm not doing very well with it, to be honest. I, I mean, you try. No mother would. No mother have... would. No mother would. I've talked yeah. to many. I've you, talked you know, to many mothers for... like yourself. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, and it's you know you you go one day at a time, and the Lord and I have had a lot of conversations. But you know what else can I do? And at first it was traumatic. And at first I didn't think I'd get over it. But um, I had to get a little help, and, and I'm not over it. I'm still searching, but I'm also trying to deal better with it. So that's how it's being handled. Since uh, June 10th uh, of that year, um, mm -hmm. no new leads, nothing of no. Shane's ever found on uh, on no. the, the river's edge somewhere or in a ditch, in the garbage. No. Um, I no. know that you hired a private investigator at one time. Was that helpful at all? Anything that you can tell the listeners about any of that? Okay. Actually, Shane was... Shane's very popular, and in the computer world, they um, he did the Commodore 64. He has this club, and it's it's uh, worldwide. He has a lot of friends in uh, Croatia and in Europe and in Germany where they do artwork on Commodore 64s, one pixel at a time is colored in, and the artwork is amazing. And they had, when this happened, word spread to them. And they made a beautiful wall for Shane. And they all started sending his friends in Savannah. Everybody started sending uh, contributions in to get a private eye. So that's what we did. Uh, we didn't feel like it was going to be very helpful because we kept running into walls. But that's what they chose to do. His friends from Savannah are the ones who hired the private eye. Um, and... It it wasn't very productive. I know he got into a little bit of a rift. There's some under the bridge. You have a lot of homeless people that walk around, and and we would always when we walked that way, we'd try to you know do, do show the post poster and everything. And this one instant when the private eye was getting a little too rough with one of the homeless people under the bridge, and. Um, I think he was, like, shaking him by his arms. Do you know anything? Do you know Shane? That kind of thing. And a policeman actually had to stop and tell him to leave the old guy alone. So, you know, he I think he was ending up being a little more, a little frustrated, too, because there were no leads. Uh, when we went, when my husband and I went to the police department 
two weeks after it happened, we felt like, I felt like we could go because my husband's a little more stronger than I am, and I felt like, okay, I can do this now. We wanted our own answers. So we went in there, and the captain that we spoke with said, if you are the sort of people that believe in UFOs, then I could tell you that Shane was abducted by a UFO. He said, that's how much evidence is in the area. He said, nothing. Nothing. It's like he was sucked up from the earth into space. And that was exactly what he told us. The captain told us that. And that's still how the the police feel to this day. Once they figured out that you were not harboring Shane anywhere, they figured out that this was a true disappearance. Right. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. It's it's just, it's amazing. One of the, the detective that we dealt with so much in the beginning said, you know, Miss Bell, he said, when this, something like this happens, he said, people on the street talk. He said, somebody's going to talk and we're going to find out where Shane is. And no one has ever talked. There's never been any sort of talking or conversation or anything about Shane for the last it's going to it's coming up unfortunately on the six-year anniversary uh, very quickly here yeah 2,174 days right Uh, Terry where can the the listeners find you where could they reach you Um, if they want to speak to you you should know that we have a uh, a discussion group on Facebook that it's a private group and mm-hmm. I hope that once this is over you'll join uh, the group in there because it's a place where a lot of my guests go and it's very protective there's no trolls there's no arguing anything it's just people uh-huh. sending support to you listeners who want to help uh, and many of my listeners have helped many of my guests since this program started last September um, where can they find you on, on in social media, email, anything like that, uh, if they want to reach out to you? I can I can give them my um, email address if that if sure help. absolutely okay. sure. Okay, it's my home email address is Mrs. M R S S C O O T E R Mrs. Scooter. Okay. 14 at att.net. Okay. And then there's also a Facebook page uh, that somebody is running uh, who is very helpful in, uh, in putting me in contact with you that's helped find good. Shane Fell. Uh, okay. Of course, that page, you don't manage it, but somebody does, and they're doing a very right. good job of it. They were very helpful. Uh, good. In, yeah, in, I, I look at it, and I write notes and things, and read things that he's written and stuff like that. But okay. I don't I don't know too much about the computer generation. Okay. Any last words that you'd like to say uh, to the listeners or anybody else who might hear this um, before we finish the interview for tonight? Um, I did want to point out something about the River Road. I know you mentioned that they can Google the site and, and get a, a better idea of the location of where it happened. The first cross street is called Marrero, M-A-R-R-E-R-O Road. It only goes one way because the other way is 
the river again, the levees. But if they look for River Road and Marrero Road, they'll get an idea of where it is. Shane's got a great big sign, a 4 by 8 sign on the fence of the pipe yard. And they'll be able to see the pipe yard and um, his sign, and they'll know exactly where his car Great. Great. And it'll give them, you know, a better idea of, of the location and, you know, what you deal with with the woods and everything. Because um, Brett and a lot of my family and my husband just went through those woods, me too, walking, calling Shane. I'm not sure what happened. Um, was searching and searching and searching. So, But they'll get a good idea of the area if they, if they go there. Okay. Um, and I do appreciate you. For the program that you do, which I was completely unaware of, um, and you getting in touch with me again, and um, you know, giving this opportunity to me to let everybody know a little bit more about Shane, um, just an absolutely wonderful human being, um, very, very much loved and full of love himself, and um, you know, anything we can do to get him home, I would just so appreciate any sort of help uh that we could get because i just i just can't believe that he's not coming home and i'll always look for him every day so as long as there's breath in my body so um you know he needs to come home he needs to be home with us so and again thank you anything anybody can do uh i know we would all appreciate it so thank you very much Terry, thank you for those compliments, and I can promise you that myself and the listeners are going to do anything we can to help you out, and I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Okay, thank you so much, Ed. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Terry Fell, mother of Shane Fell. I forgot to ask her something during the interview, and she was kind enough to answer me in an email the next day. In regards to pinging Shane's phone, this is what she wrote. The police said Shane's phone did not have the ability to ping off a tower. They said that a better phone would have pinged, but not Shane's. The sad part is that Shane had a fancy BlackBerry phone that would have pinged off a tower at home on his computer desk for work, sent to him by Verifone, but Shane was told that it was to only be used for business. I have to admit that that's news to me that there are certain cell phones that can't be pinged. Now remember... Shane did not have your usual phone. Terry pointed out in the interview that it was one of these flip phones, and he paid as he went. It was not one of these phones that I'm guessing most people have in 2017 where you're on a plan. This was a pay-as-you-go phone, and I think at one point these were called track phones, I think. So I'd be interested to know any more information on that. If any of you listeners have insight into the topic of the kinds of phones that can be pinged, and the kinds of phones that can't, because that is certainly news to me. Regarding the interview and Shane's disappearance, it's hard not to be pulled toward the idea that Shane somehow ended up in the Mississippi River. We all know how many drunk college students have ended up in rivers near their campuses over the years. In fact, it's become so common that some people have convinced themselves that these young drunk people were drowned on purpose, the phenomenon is called the smiley face killers, an urban legend that I don't buy into. And it doesn't help that Terry herself is willing to admit that Shane might have been trying to avoid a DUI checkpoint that night, kind of proving that he believed he shouldn't be driving, 
What might need to be done is the police should check their files to see if a checkpoint was being run on the street going past rum runners that night. If so, that would certainly bolster Terry's assertion, so alcohol might have played a role in the disappearance. However, having mentioned those other people who disappeared in the same pattern that Shane did, Mara Murray, Brandon Lawson, Brandon Swanson, Brianna Maitland, there's no proof that any of them were drunk or on any drugs that night, with the possible exception being Mara Murray, but even in that case, the bus driver who encountered her gave no indication she was intoxicated. So could there be something else? Is there maybe something we still don't understand about the psychological effects of car wrecks and car issues? Having a breakdown or crash on a dark road, that sudden rise in adrenaline as the car hits a tree or overturns into a ditch or stalls for seemingly no reason. Escaping the car but being in the middle of nowhere with no one else around. I'm really starting to wonder that despite our familiarity with car crashes, I mean we've all been in one, do we understand the effects a crash can have on the average human, psychologically? Especially if that person's mind might already be compromised for other reasons, in Shane's case, trying to avoid being stopped by the police. I wonder. So, what happened? Terry expressed the idea that Shane might have been picked up. I'd really like to know the exact second that the couple stopped by and the security guard called 911. Right now, the timeline seems a little too tight to me, but if I knew those exact times that those people stopped by the wreck, I think my mind could be changed. Likewise, these conspiracy theories, and you're going to find them on WebSleuths and elsewhere. The police, the couple, the security guard, maybe they had something to do with Shane's disappearance. I dismiss these as well due to the timeline being too tight, and there's no proof of any of them being involved at all. Instead, I've convinced myself that Shane Fell ended up suffering some type of panic attack related to the crash. Why? The shoe in the mud. The other one was never found, meaning Shane must have been wearing it when he disappeared. So, to kind of put this all together, he was hanging out at his car, waiting for Brett, wearing only one shoe. Wouldn't he take it off? Wearing only one shoe normally drives most people mad because you simply can't walk that way. And wearing only one shoe feels so odd. I mean, we've all done it. We've all been around our house wearing one shoe, maybe looking for the other one. And you realize very quickly how weird that feels. But it seems that Shane was walking around his car, was hanging out at the crash scene while wearing one shoe. It's just something that's hard to imagine if he was in his right mind. I think that if he was in his right mind, he would have taken his other shoe off and walked around in his socks or bare feet. This tells me that his mind was a million miles away, possibly not cognizant of his surroundings, despite him answering his phone and despite him calling Brett back. Now, why not an outright brain injury like a concussion? because I think Shane would have mentioned pain or something during his calls if that were the case. Whereas with a panic attack, an occurrence I'm very familiar with, I've had a few in my life, there is no pain. It's just a severe case of feeling the world is out of control, like everything is imploding. It's totally irrational. 
but you have a severe case of just wanting to run away, but you are not suicidal. This could explain why Shane called Brett back, wondering where he was, despite them having just talked a few minutes before that, because he had this sudden urge to get away from that area, and it had nothing to do necessarily with the cops coming along and seeing the wreck and wondering if Shane was drinking and driving or not. It was just a complete irrational fear brought on by the wreck itself, having nothing to do whether where he had been that night or what he had been drinking or anything else. Shane's behavior, and dare I say it, those other cases that I mentioned before, they all fit the pattern of people who suffered panic attacks after car wrecks or the car running out of gas, having nothing to do with them being drunk or on drugs, or falling into a river, or anything else. People who were overcome with fear, and their fight-or-flight response enacted, causing them to run away. So then, where is Shane? It's a question that's hard to answer. I'm just pretty sure, given what I know about panic attacks, that he did not go up over that levee, and into the river. I think it's much more likely that he ran away from the crash scene after the couple left. Where did he end up? Unfortunately, I don't know. And that's the reason I'm going to leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. What do you think happened to Shane Fell? And what can we all do to get these answers for Terry and her family? And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to iTunes and give Unfound a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.